<sighs> I can remember 1997. I may have been 10 years old, but boy, what a time to get to know the world. I can remember the cultural touchstones like it was yesterday. The Animorphs and Harry Potter had just become available for reading. This musical group called the Backstreet Boys all wore the same outfits and sang songs about deep down inside of me love. And shows like Hey Arnold were there to teach me about intersectionality in inner city life. I was in the thick of it. As a millennial who was way too young to know any better. Meanwhile, real human adults like Gen Xers were dealing with an identity crisis of acceptance, shrugging off self-importance, and trying to figure out how many different patterns of plaid you could wear at the same time. Enter Kevin Smith, who had the kind of voice that could give voice to the kind of nerds that made it possible for the kind of nerds I hang out with to exist. In today's film, Chasing Amy, we've got a lot of those nerds, and Smith provides us with just such a bunch of characters who are willing to speak their minds, which is odd for us nerds, but you know, it works. It feels oddly appropriate for Gen X. It feels like Kevin Smith was told by an older generation that no one was going to be listening to what he said, so he decided to say whatever he wanted. And there was kind of a magic to that in this movie. Rarely do Ryan and I run into a film here on A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms that you could describe as both gritty, realistic, raw, and poignant, right alongside funny and romantic, but this one does it. With great performances from Ben Affleck, Joey Lauren Adams, Jason Lee, Dwight Ewell, it's, it's a stellar script and great direction from Kevin Smith. This is a rom-drom we're definitely telling our friends about. Aren't you at least gonna comment? Here's my comment. Fuck you! Why? That was so unfair. You know how unfair that was. What? It's unfair that I'm in love with no, you? No, it's unfortunate that you're in love with me. It's unfair you felt the fuck of me to unburden your soul about it. Do you remember for one fucking second who I am? So? I mean, you know, people change. Oh, oh, it's that simple. You fall in love with me and want a romantic relationship, nothing changes for you. With the exception of feeling hunky-dory all the time, but what about me, Holden? It's not that simple. I just can't get into a relationship with you without throwing my whole fucking world into upheaval. Listen, that's every relationship. There's always going to be a period of adjustment. Period of adjustment? There's no period of adjustment, Holden. I am fucking gay. That's who I am. And you assume that I can just turn all that Crush. If this is a crush, I don't think I can take it if the real thing ever happened. Go home, Holden. Ryan, go ahead, sit down on the couch. Oh. Face away from me. I'm here. Okay. Have you ever chased an Amy? Um. No. What qualifies? I think what qualifies is chasing somebody that we had, but gave up on for bad reasons. Oh, no, I've never had the privilege. Because mm. <laughs> the only girl I've really had um, was Sarah. Okay. So batting 100. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but you only 
miss the shots that you don't take. Yeah, spoken right? like a true uh, sports enthusiast. Isn't that a quote? Yeah. I What I mean is I didn't really go for it with many girls. Mm. And when I did go for it... <laughs> going for it sounds like the way our parents speak about dating. I think you should go for it with her. Uh, like my mom, when I was when I was like 14 or so, I was saying I was going to go on a date. And he's like, oh, or my mom was like, you guys going together? <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, yeah, we're going to go together. No, she's like, Are you, but you're going. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, we're going to go see this movie and then we're going to come back. And so. we're definitely going to do it together. So, yes. What do you? And no, she's like, no, no, you're going together. My mom, also, my mom had a lot of cool stuff <laughs> that I didn't understand. Like, she's like, hey, don't. Don't tell don't tell somebody to have a good summer in the yearbook. Say to have a bitchin' summer. Whoa. And so I was bitchin' then became like a, a pretty like accepted term cool. in my house. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. Anyway, um <sighs> You tell me about your chasing Amy. I don't I actually don't think I have done that before. I think I I am somebody's Amy though. I know I'm somebody's Amy. I've been witness to your breakups, not directly. I wasn't there right and then and there when mm-hmm. it happened, but I was there when you were contemplating it. And each time it was very thought out. It was very like you didn't take it lightly. Yeah, nothing nothing like extending the torture. <laughs> well, but you were never just like, you never... I don't think you've ever broken up with someone on a whim or like a reactionary level. Um, not while you've known me, no. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I maybe it's pretentious, but I think I'm I'm just somebody's Amy. I don't think I have any Amy's out there, but the whole concept of a chasing Amy is I think a very universal thing that we can at least all connect to. We all know possibly what that would feel like. So breaking down what it means to be chasing Amy. If you have broken up with somebody who was kind of perfect for you, but you broke up with them because of your pride or because of your fear, but but then you realize too late that you wanted them back and they wouldn't take you back, you are, for the rest of your life, chasing that relationship that you gave up on. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know what? I, I did break up with someone based on like being insecure once. So, but, and I did chase after I was like, man, that is the stupidest mistake of my life. But I think about a year after that, I was like, oh, well, I mean, it felt like that for a while, but now I'm no longer chasing what that was. So, um, you're saying that you were chased, you were an Amy to be chased. So you're saying you're someone's ideal. No, I I was saying that in the beginning, but now I'm recognizing. Actually, I did have a a internship with this idea where <laughs> like it was only for a year and it didn't really forward my career in dating at all. I just kind of got over it. Uh, but do you still concur that you were also an Amy as well? Yeah, I think I have been. Okay, so no, you I mean, were. No, I have been. You were someone's ideal. Yeah. Oh gosh, it sounds really freaking pretentious. To I, I like, like it that. though. I like hearing that from you. I like you thinking and believing well, as a that friend. You, yeah, that you're, you're like, someone's mm, ideal. I really like your That's big good. head here. <laughs> well, tell me why you thought you you maybe I was a namey too. Who knows? No, no, no. I think I think one of the one of the qualifications for being an Amy is that you like that person has tried to get you back at one point in time. Oh. So you've that's been... what it seems like. Okay, like so as you... Kevin Smith was like, I tried to get her back, but it was too late. Okay, okay. So you were in the situation where someone tried to get you back. Okay, he 
He snapped a yes. Um, he clicked the oh he yeah. Uh-huh. So how did that? Now you're on the couch. How did that make you feel? Can I get an iced tea? I think it'd be a lot easier for me to share this if I had an iced tea. Oh sure. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, sorry. What was the question? How does that make you feel to be an Amy? How did it make you feel? You know, it's it. I don't know. It's very hard for me not to want to return affection <laughs> because I'm like, wow, somebody likes me. I what am I doing throwing away any affection that's sent my way? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean, that was basically me from the age of 16 to 27 or so, where like, who am I to say no to somebody liking me? And so I think when that happened, it was, it was very hard for me to walk away from that. Yeah. But once I did, it really changed the course of my dating life. So in junior high, I found out that someone liked me and I was like, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Let's not let that go to waste. So I was like, how do I like that person? And my friends were like, that's no, that's not how it works. Like, I'm like, monetarily. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't like them, but maybe I could. Cause you know, I don't want to put this to waste if she likes me. Oh, whoa, whoa. so you're like an, like an 18th or, or 19th century woman who's been offered a hand in marriage. And you're like, well, can I make this work? Can I make this? this? I don't love this person, but you know, is there some kind of social advantages, some kind of like, will I go up in society? And, um, well, you're, you're so Machiavellian yeah. <laughs> when as your seventh grade self. Well, junior high is, you know, Machiavelli's like playground. Oh yeah. The Prince was written for somebody who was around, you know, 13 year old, 12, 13. About yeah. it. But no, it didn't work out. Wait. So we didn't date somebody. So, so <laughs> the girl I didn't like, I ended up still not liking. I don't think that qualifies. No, it doesn't. Okay. Well, I just was trying to relate to you <laughs> and that's where the line is. Can't even get there. If you, if you haven't s- surmised at this point in time, we're talking about that 1997, maybe classic chasing Amy. Yeah. Written, directed by Coven Smith. Um, or in English, it's Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith, indeed. I was speaking the um, Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's not actually Canadian, but he did go to Canada Film School. He went to Vancouver, Vancouver Film, School. Film School. which I actually got in, but didn't attend. And he actually, I don't think he graduated. He, no, I he think he was a VFS through. dropout. Yeah. Beauty school dropout. No graduation. This is one of one of the few Kevin Smith films that I've seen. I've only seen two others. Um, where are you in his oeuvre? I've seen all of his films um, until he dropped the Askewniverse thing. So he created the View Askewniverse, starting with his first film with Clerks. He wanted his movies to be set. I don't know if it was the plan from the get-go, but by the time he made his second film, he decided that his films would be in the same cinematic universe, the same way that, like, Pixar movies are in the same cinematic universe. Marvel films. Yeah. Yeah. There aren't as interconnected as like Marvel films are like where Tony Stark shows up everywhere. But but a character could run into another character. Yeah. Or like characters will reference like the store that's in Clerks Mm -hmm. or like the the kid who is telling the story of his encounter with um, the girlfriend um, that was in front of the the Quick Stop or the Quick Mart. I think that was the exact shop that's Clerks. 
that is where it's set. Right. Uh, so he did Clerks, Mallrats. His third film is Chasing Amy. Then he did Dogma, which is a wonderful religious satire starring Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. And then he capped it with Jane Silent Bob, Strike Back. And that's when he said, okay, this universe is dead. I'm going on and making like more mature films now. And it's then he, over. Shell art is over! <laughs> then he made um, Jersey Girl, which is actually a pretty good rom-com that we'll eventually run into as well, starring Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck. Um, and then he just kind of... I, I mean, I haven't watched them, but the films he made after that were just kind of like disappointments, at least critically. He did Cop Out with Bruce Willis. He did Tusk. He did Red State. He did Yoga Hosers. He did, um, and the, most recently, he did Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. And it's just kind of like everything he's done since Jersey Girl has been a disappointment. And I think it's because it looks like filmmaking to him is more of a hobby now because he's got other stuff going on, like being the face of cool nerds. Like he's always interviewing people at Comic-Con and mm-hmm. like, he's just kind of like the spokesman for nerd culture now. Yeah. Which, I mean, he does a pretty good job at. Yeah. Um, I, so let's talk a little bit about this, this film chasing Amy, my first time, your second. Yeah. It was a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. It was more of a romantic dramedy. Yeah. Though, right? Surprisingly. So like it gets, it gets pretty dark at times, pretty real. And I have to say, I, th- I think this might be one of my favorite films that we've run into. Awesome. Lay it, it on me. It doesn't it doesn't conform to a lot of our, our tropes that we've um, kind of set up for ourselves in this genre so far. Like there's there's no race to an airport. There's no, you know, uh, last second confusion about who's. Oh, I walked in with you sleeping with somebody. And so that's oh going to create gosh. this superficial tension, which can be fun. But this movie kind of shies away from any trope i maybe because it precedes them a little bit um or or maybe kevin smith isn't trying to make a romantic comedy he's just trying to make a i mean i don't know would you call this a romantic comedy he yeah um because it's 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 really founded on this relationship or founded on what relation what makes relationships tick right but he's not interested in genre. He's more interested in types of movies. Like Mallrats, which he made previously, is a teen comedy. Or not even teens. I don't know if they're technically teenagers. But it's just like, it's about like that culture of just guys hanging out at the mall. Just guys so it's a mall comedy. Dudes. Yeah. And it's just like, kind of like that 90s thing where it's like, it's about guys who'd want to play video games all day and just kind of dick around and just make fun of stuff. And that's why I didn't do very well, but it's got its fans. Like, but, but this film, um, I mean, let's, let's break down the story because it's, it's kind of like a, in the same way that, um, she's got to have it is a, I, I would almost call it a social commentary rom-com. Yeah. This one feels very much in that same oeuvre. Yeah. So tell me the story. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, you probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. The story is about Ben Affleck and his friend... Jason Lee. Jason Lee. Thank you. Who, uh, they're both 
uh, comic book writers and uh, well ben affleck is the writer and he's the inker jason lee's the inker it seems like they both write it but ben affleck is the drawer yeah and maybe the colorist um and uh what's his name is the anchor yeah yeah um jason lee is the anchor and so there's two of them they go to comic cons they have this basically jay and silent bob feature as their comic book heroes which are they're just like a couple of um (laughs) weed-based heroes i guess we don't really get a lot of what they're about but they're just about like solving they're like the ambiguously gay duo but with weed yeah just stoner the ambiguously stoned duo yeah oh yeah yeah perfect um and they run into i I, it's been like a week since we've watched this movie because it's not amy but it's Alyssa. yeah Alyssa, joey lauren adams yeah who i mistook for renee zellweger for the first half of this film which is, I can understand that, but for a whole, like, 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, like, when I realized it wasn't, I was like, oh, well, that's <laughs> dumb of me, because they are two different people, but, I mean... It's close enough. Yeah, okay. So, they run into her. Ben Affleck thinks that he's getting set up on a date with her after they, like, hang out for a, a while at this bar one night, and so he goes to meet her the next night with his buddy, and then finds out that she's a lesbian or she's at least gay yeah and um, the whole setup was like he thinks things are going somewhere right and then he realizes they do have chemistry together mm-hmm. and they, yeah they have um a friend chemistry initially and the movie from that point forward is about the two of them kind of falling in love amidst their friendship that they set out mm-hmm. to have and then she ends up um with him part like they start dating and then in the end they break up yeah um but this this movie is like its story is much more complicated because it's always centered around these like conversations in regards to identity and like whether like the whole conceit is ben affleck is so in love with this person but it's never going to happen because um like he thinks that she's just a lesbian right but she's actually hooked up with guys before it's it's like she she's just a very sexually open human being yeah yeah and i don't know like that's basically the story she's also um allison Alyssa. Alyssa is also a comic book artist yeah. and so she kind of runs in the same circles and the tension the the big tension much more so than their relationship is the fact that Jason Lee um his partner and best friend really doesn't like her. Yeah. And not for any reasonable reason because they get along. He's just concerned about her and what she will do to his friend that right. she'll basically emotionally wreck him because it's as he's concerned, it won't happen. It can't happen. And anything that she's, if she's spending any time with him, it's like she's leading him on in some ways. And or that he's allowing himself to be. Right. Um, because she's like, uh, we, she doesn't lead him on per se, because she kind of makes it clear. This is who I am. Right. At the beginning of their relationship. Um, but it turns out that it's actually a lot more than just him being worried about his friend. Yeah. So what's, what is what was your take on uh jason lee's identity well it's so jason lee's character is is um like this movie is very 
it's made in the 90s it's very blatant about one of its characters being pretty homophobic yeah and not only banky or jason lee plays banky banky yeah banky's a cool name too yeah and banky just is using a lot of slurs and a lot of his attitude is pretty bigoted yeah and it's not maybe intentionally cruel but he's definitely one of those ignorant people that doesn't realize how his language affects other people i think it's definitely intentional for this film it is yeah if I it think- was a different comedy where it's just like you know you know slackers just kind of making fun of stuff it maybe wouldn't be no but i'm i'm saying that his character doesn't see it that way. right, he, right. he doesn't think there's anything wrong with how he is yeah um, well, and he also doesn't think there's anything wrong with how other people are, but he is going to insult them. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's kind of drawn in stark relief to one of our other characters. Um, gosh, what's his name? The Hooper X. For years in this industry, whenever an African-American character, hero or villain was introduced, usually by white artists and writers, they got slapped with racist names. Singled them out as Negroes. Now, my book, White Hayden Coon, don't have none of that bullshit. The hero's name is Maliqua, and he's a descendant from the black tribe that established the first society on the planet while you European motherfuckers were still hiding in caves and shit, all terrified of the sun. Okay, and so um, Jason Lee Banky, he always kind of speaks everything that's on his mind and he doesn't have a filter in kind of the same way that uh, Hooper, um, who is this like black comic writer who is really into like pushing an identity of being really into like strong black power. And um, he's he's got like, he's he's basically puts out this like, black panther vibe as a comic book writer but also as 90s as i will say it out and proud about his sexual identity well too. yeah but i'm not talking about that you're not yet. getting there but no. his whole arc is like that is like more so well keep going yeah well i mean this is his face that he puts up for being uh, a comic writer as he's like um i'm a a strong um black writer in this arena where there's not a lot of um black artists Mm -hmm. and so he's like has this he's like a strong kind of macho hetero persona and then we realize that he is actually like a pretty queenie gay Mm -hmm. and is like (laughs) he's just has two different personas and he's also speaking his mind a lot like banky does and but he kind of has no insecurity about who he is. Right. He's very upfront about like making these two faces. And so he's also a really interesting character. So you have these four characters who Ben Affleck's kind of a, a kind hearted, sensitive soul kind of dude, yeah. right? Who is a little conservative, but has a good heart. Yeah. Um, and you have these four characters kind of talking about the ins and outs of what it means to be gay, what it means to date people what it means to be on like the spectrum of sexuality yeah kind of and it's they just all have really interesting conversations yeah and you were asking what do i think about banky yeah so what's banky's deal i think he's just i think he is probably a hetero dude who never asked the question am i gay Uh and maybe did fall in love a little bit with his friend and never got to express that because he has like this very manly man thing like we don't talk about stuff like that is there a repression happening with him maybe i don't 
like I think I think yes, definitely a repression of like questioning himself. I don't know if he's actually gay, but at one point in time in the story, Ben Affleck is like, okay, the only way to break through this is Banky, you need to sleep with me and my girlfriend. Yeah. And that way we get all the tension taken care of. That you're you'll be comfortable with everything. I'll be comfortable with doing something that I'm not usually comfortable with. Because Ben, like the crux of Ben Affleck's problem in why he breaks up with Alyssa in the first place is that he realizes she has slept with men before. And not only has she slept with men before, but she's been pretty, I don't know, promiscuous or whatever you want to use the term. Yeah, I mean, she's far more liberal with her sexuality than he is. Yeah, and it freaks him out. Mm -hmm. It's weird for him. And so his solution to this is like his friend doesn't like his girlfriend. His he is insecure about how little experience he's had yeah. compared to his girlfriend. And so the solution, and he realizes that Banky is kind of in love with him. So the solution to fix all these problems, which is kind of oddly genius in a weird way, it's like that makes sense. Yeah, mathematically it makes sense. Emotionally, maybe not. Yeah, um, where he's like, all we need to do is have a threesome together. And yeah. Banky is into it. Like, I mean, it takes him it takes him a while he's to get there, though. He's open to it. Yes. I don't know if he's into it per se, but the fact that he's open to it says something. Yeah. I think he at least needs to... Maybe he recognizes the need to ask that question and test it out. Or he just really wants to have sex with Alyssa. And if Ben Affleck has to be there, fine. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be true as well. They don't really get into the um the ins and outs of how they actually feel about it because before they get to that point um Alyssa is the one who says no yeah and she has really wonderful just kind of a fantastic monologue explaining why this is a bad idea and it actually is so emotionally mature of mm-hmm. like there are so many reasons why we shouldn't do this and she lays out the repercussions of like it's over for me i've been there and i've done it and i didn't find what i was looking for in any of it I found that in you, in us. Doing this won't help you forget about the things you're hung up on. It'll just, it'll create more. No, it won't. I've thought about all that. Yes, it will. Maybe you'll see me differently from then on. You know, or maybe you'll despise me for going along with it once you're in the moment. Maybe I'll moan differently, and then you'll resent Banky and, and become suspicious of us. Or, or you'll alienate him because of it. And you'll grow to blame and hate me for the deterioration of your friendship. Or what if, and oh God, I sincerely doubt it, but what if I saw something in Banky that I've never seen before? You know, and I fell in love with him and left you. I've been down roads like this before, many times. I know you feel doing this will broaden your horizons and give you experience. But I've had those experiences on my own. And I can't accompany you on yours. I'm past that now. Or maybe I just love you too much. And I feel hurt and let down that you would want to share me with anyone. 
because I would never want to share you. Like she just lays out all these different situations that a partner should be thinking about and yeah. worried about. Yeah, she's very she's very intelligent because she like her whole thing is like when when Ben Affleck hears about her past, he confronts her with it and he's like really insecure and he brings up exactly how he's feeling and she's like, "Look, I do have this past but that doesn't define who i am now what i want now is you yeah and i don't need all of that extra stuff because i experienced it yeah and what this movie does really well is it has everybody speak about what they're feeling and that's it like i mean yeah i think at, at robin was saying on the way home it seems like like that's kevin smith's he finds those characters who are willing to do that and in his universe everybody is that character yeah which makes for a fun movie it's not realistic like not everybody speaks like this but if they did i mean i feel like this movie is begging the question like if you guys were all a little bit more open about what you're feeling on the inside would there be as much strife yeah I think he's a very astute writer when it comes to understanding characters' emotions. And he does the smart thing of writers are told to write what you know. So he writes, he designs characters that he's familiar with, that it's set in the comic book world. All these guys and girls are nerds Mm -hmm. or they're, um, they're just part of that Gen X alt culture Oh man, alt has been totally like when I say alt culture, that makes me think of alt. Remember when That's we used to right. listen to alternative rock? Yeah, and <gasps> like an indie film like this is like the alternative rock of indies. Yeah, where it's got an edge to it, it's got a distinctness to it. It doesn't have the same kind of like progression the pop songs have, but it's got a progression nonetheless. Right, because I mean to kind of spoil it, what happens when you think like either. You think people will figure things out in this film. You think, like, at this point, Ben Affleck is saying, like, you two are super... Like, because everything else in this movie is... Just leads up to this point, which is why I think we skipped so much in this movie and just got to the meat the of this argument. Of the, yeah, the, the matter. Where Ben Affleck says, look, this is our solution. And it doesn't happen. He and Alyssa don't stay together. He and Banky don't stay together. What happens is they all break apart. Yeah. And I feel like this movie is pretty ballsy for doing that. And then they all see each other at Comic-Con next year, all having like different jobs that they're doing now or like different things that they're writing. And they all kind of make peace with each other. Yeah. And that's the happy ending. Yeah. the That's their resolution is to be, like you said, at peace. It feels like early 2000s alt-rock. Yeah. Yeah. Like just where it's like, this ended on a chord you didn't expect, but you're like, nice. It's good. Yeah. So I feel like we should probably get into the particulars of the rest of the story because we skipped to the ending. So yeah. maybe we should talk so let's about let's flesh what it else. out a little bit for people. Yeah. So let's go all the way back to the club. Yeah. Um, this is where Ben Affleck thinks he's going to hook up with Alyssa tonight. It's really going there with the intention of being like, nice, I'm going to hook up with a girl. Yeah. And then he see she gets called up on stage to sing a song by her friend's band, which yeah. is also like this band that you'd see in the coffee shop in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, or your local college bar band. Yeah, yeah, where it's like a good band and everybody's super into it, but it's like 
you know, they don't have like a tight set where they're like, we, we, we play our set and we're artists. They're just like, come on up on stage. This is like our home bar. You're not there for them. You're there to drink. You're there to drink and dance. And there happens to be a band. Oh, I would, I would assume the five people in that crowd are actually their friends. Right. Probably. All right. I should dedicate this, right? This is for that someone special out there. Ready? I'm feeling nothing but all alone. Just missing someone I don't even know. She gets on stage and she starts singing, and it's a hilarious scene because Ben Affleck, throughout the whole song, thinks she's singing this like sexy, sultry song to him, and about partway through it, like an excellent timing. Like there's just this like short haired blonde that just kind of moves in front of Mm -hmm. Ben Affleck. She just slides into frame. And you're like, oh, I know what's going on. here." Yeah. (laughs) And Ben Affleck and his buddy Banky um, basically hang out with the two of them the rest of the night. And they have like a conversation about like what it means to be a lesbian kind of. Yeah. Which is like at first Ben Affleck's like, shut up, Banky, you're being an ass, which he kind of is. But Alyssa is so cool that she just like kind of rolls with it. And then they end up competing with each other in kind of like this Jaws who, who has the worst injury from going down on somebody. Yeah. Who has a better scar? Yeah. And it's, it's a hilarious conversation. Yeah. Permanent injuries. Sure. You want to see something permanent? See that? Uh I got that from Nina Rollins. Sophomore year, I'm going down on her, right? And out of nowhere, her cat jumps on her stomach and she does this big old pelvic thrust, cracks my tooth, and sends it down my throat. I had to get a crown for the stub. I got that beat. I got that beat. Junior year, I'm going down on Cynthia Slater in her dorm room after we went club hopping. I'm totally drunk. And in the middle of it, I fall asleep right in her lap. She got so mad, she digs her heel into my back. Right there. That's permanent. It's like these conversations where Banky is just inappropriate the whole time. I feel like everyone has that inappropriate friend or had a friendship like that where it's like, I know when I'm out in public that this guy doesn't seem the most like elegant, eloquent person, but. And he's not, and he never will be. And yet I kind of understand why Ben Affleck is friends with him because those people who are really inappropriate all the time never want to be in a box. They never want to be like, I want to only say safe things or think only safe thoughts. I'm just going to be myself. Right. And that's what is admirable about these people in your life where it's like, yeah, on the one hand, they're, they're careless with the things that they say. On the other hand, they're willing to think new thoughts. Right. <laughs> and I think, I think the, the thing that you look for in a friend like that most is you, or at least you hope that if they say something, they're also willing to learn something. Like if they're willing to make mistakes by just being who they are, they're also willing to be like, oh, didn't know about that. Didn't yeah. think that way. And Banky's kind of that character, but he's also... But he's more so a loudmouth. Yeah, he's more so a loudmouth. 
He's he'll, kind of a bastard. Yeah, he'll learn 10%, but he'll say 90%. And Alyssa, on the other hand, is somebody who seems like someone who is is used to kind of making anything work. Like, we kind of get that she's had a rough and tumble life, but she's the person who can get along with anybody. Yeah. And that's kind of what makes her a pretty admirable character, is that she doesn't take offense at things she could take offense to. She's just like, she kind of shrugs it off and just is like, well, I still want to have fun with the night. I think it's because, especially in the 90s, where it's like, there was still a lot of education that needed to happen because it wasn't, it wasn't as comp like that's why he Banky has so many stupid questions to ask or stupid things to say that you can tell that he is so ignorant on it Mm -hmm. he doesn't really get it and like well and that comes from not having like any gay friends probably before then and um so but he really misses this opportunity to like because they get along so well right right and he could have he could have been the Ben Affleck in this situation where he's like, we get along well, let's hang out sometime. And then that's where you like grow your friendship with somebody who's different than you. Yeah. And then he's, but he's just like the fact that Ben Affleck, what's his name? Finn? No. Holden. Holden. (laughs) Holden. (laughs) Just the fact that Holden is into Alyssa at all kind of turns him off to having a friendship with her, which causes him to be, more homophobic and slurry than he was even at the beginning yeah it's because of his jealousy kind of right yeah so here's my question when you were in high school Mm -hmm. were a lot of kids in your class well this is hard to answer but somewhat closeted well are you are you more asking if um there were kids in my class that were out. Were there a lot of kids that were out in high school? Or came out during high school? Or um, You know what? To be honest, we didn't have... Um, so I went to high school in Eastern Washington. And we, from what I can ta- remember in my class, because I didn't know a lot of classes or kids in like younger classes, but my class and the, the one above me, I would say out of like the 300 or so kids that were in each class. I think there were probably only five out kids in each class or uh-huh. so. I, I'd say that was about the average. This was in 2001 to 2005. Yeah, it was weird. After I graduated high school, and it was really after college, I learned about so many of my former classmates that had come out after that. Yeah. My two my two best friends in high school, well, my... <laughs> I'm not going to name drop, but uh, two of my best friends in, in just because I, yeah. I don't know their status sure. at, the, at the moment, but I know that um, they were, they both came out after um, high school. It it wasn't until like a couple years into college, but I mean, that's kind of how it is when you're discovering your sexuality as well. So right. it's time period based, location based, also age based or experience based. But I wonder now for high schoolers today, what, if that phenomenon will happen to them. Probably depends where you are, what yeah. kind of parents you have. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think the I wish I so vaguely remember this movie, but it didn't it didn't impact me the way it impacts me now of like realizing that there's so much thoughtfulness in the conversation around sexuality uh-huh. and around sexual identity. And I think why the movie is so insightful in the late nineties is that a lot of people were in like Banky's position that 
they don't have a lot of outlets to ask questions or to talk or they don't they they don't understand that they're they're not really meeting a lot of gay and lesbian people because they actually are that's just you know our upbringings in like conservative towns like spokane or Mm -hmm. like in sammamish for me it was like there were some kids who were out but there were a lot of kids who were in more repressed households and couldn't be free to talk about that stuff or be there and i think that's I wonder in like a hundred years if like people will see this as like a relic of the nineties. Cause it's still, it feels more relevant seen as in the context of the nineties. This is how people definitely thought. And now we have a more enlightened way of dealing with it Yeah, where we don't use slurs. I, like there's just a definite, like, no, 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 we don't do that. Ye- well, I mean, we are, we ought not do that. I guess so. Mm, like, I mean, so so I used to work at a gay bar, and <laughs> I would say that um, more often than not, the slurs that are used today are used in jest by the gay people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I think where where we are right now is um, from like the late '80s um, until well, probably the late '70s through now has been a huge transition point for our culture in regards to like being able to have conversations, even to be out, to just also make it normal, a part of normal everyday life, which it obviously wasn't for Banky. Right. Um, And this, this movie is saying also it wasn't necessarily for Holden either, Ben Affleck's character, because when he finds out about it, he's, he's more hurt that she doesn't like him more than like, you know, confused about her being gay. Yeah. Um, but when they first have their conversation, he, um, like she, he, he leaves this bar. Cause he's just like, I don't want to hang out with you while you're making out with a girl. Cause I'm attracted to you. Yeah. And so he bounces, but she finds him the next day and she's like, no, we're going to be friends. And they go on a long walk and have a, like a long conversation. And that's when she really challenges his upbringing, his perception about like, what is traditional? What is, um, what things should be like. And it's a really good conversation where she's doing the work to educate him, but because, you know, she cares about him. Yeah. And it's just great conversations that I can imagine myself having in high school, like, mm. of you know, someone being like, well, come on. Like, yeah. why are you like this? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good point. I weirded you out the other night. Uh, no, not really. Oh, come on. Oh, uh, it's just, it's, I've never seen that kind of thing. You know, up close and personal before. It just took a while to process. You want to talk about it? If you want to. I like you, Holden. I haven't liked a man in a long time. And it's not because I'm a man hater or something like that. It's just been some time since I've been exposed to a man that didn't immediately live into a stereotype of some sort. And I want you to feel comfortable with me because I'd really like us to be friends. So if there's anything you want to know, it's okay to ask me. Okay. 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 Why girls? Why men? Because that's the standard. If that's the only reason you're attracted to women, because it's the (laughs) standard. it's, It's more than that. So you've never been curious about men? Curious about men? Well, I always wondered why my father watched Hee Haw, but... You know what I mean. No. Why not? No interest. Because? 
girls feel right. Well, that's how I feel. You know, I've never really been attracted to men. So you're still a virgin then? <laughs> no. But you've only been with girls. So you're saying a person is a virgin until they've had intercourse with a member of the opposite sex? Isn't that the standard definition? <laughs> Again, with your standards. I think virginity is lost when you make love for the first time. With a member of the opposite sex? Why? Why only then? Because that's the standard. Let me tell you. So if a virgin is raped, then she's still a virgin. No, of course not. But rape is not the standard, so she's had sex, but not the standard idea of sex. Hence, according to your definition, she'd still be a virgin. Okay, fine. I'll revise. Uh -huh. uh, <clears throat> virginity is lost when the hymen is broken. Well, then I lost my virginity at 10. Really? Because, mm. see, I fell on a fence post when I was 10, and it broke my hymen. Okay. Second revision. Virginity is lost through penetration. Physical penetration or emotional? Emotional penetration? Mm. Well, I fell in love hard with Caitlin Bree when we were in high school. Physical penetration. We had sex. Yeah, but not real sex. I moved to have that remark stricken from the record on account of it makes you come off as completely naive and infantile. Well, where's the penetration in lesbian sex? A finger? Okay, I've had my finger up my ass. I wouldn't say I've had anal sex. <laughs> Observe. You're kidding me! How? Our bodies are built up as a child, for Christ's sake. Oh, yeah, but I mean, Jesus, doesn't that hurt? Sure, but in that good way. Yeah, and like, it, they don't make him like a, it's not a, the more you know moment. Yeah. It's, it's not sappy. It's, he's like, well, I just think this is how it is. And she's like, that's dumb. And he's like, well, I don't know. I just think that's how it is. And you can s slowly see her like breaking chipping away at his his perceptions yeah which is cool and i think this is like what's enjoyable about chase and amy is like i wish it could be like these kind of conversations where we're these two people are meeting on a plane of friendship yeah and like she's like no wrong answers just tell me how you think and how you feel how this what you presume these things work mm -hmm. and i'm going to just kind of gently show you you're kind of right and you're kind of wrong and just kind of like yeah. tell you about my experience, but I'm not going to judge you for being, you know, yeah, like I'll give you shit, but I won't judge you. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we should be doing to people is like, we shouldn't cancel them and we shouldn't be like doing these harsh judgmental things. If they're, if they're misinformed, we just kind of be like, Hey, I'm your buddy. That's not how it works. Just want to let you know, but you know, yeah, here's I, some stuff. I mean, there's, you know, there's different degrees of like how bigoted you can be. Right. <laughs> but um, I would, I would say like Robin and I had a good conversation on the way home about like, there, there's a big push, especially on like places like Facebook where it's like, educate yourself. It's not my job. Um, mm -hmm. is And that's whether it's about, it's it's mainly targeted towards anybody who's ignorant about a subject. Yeah. It's like, and yeah, we're living in the information age where you can educate yourself and um, a good proactive person will, um, who is interested in, you know, becoming more than they are now. But as somebody who has been educated myself um, and has helped people like see things in a different light, I would say that where it's not everybody's responsibility to educate somebody about 
race or about sexuality or about all of these topics that are really hard to talk about sometimes. Um, it's not your responsibility, sure, but our society, I believe, is made better when we do take the effort. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be who I am now if I hadn't run into certain people who did offer me a different perspective. Yeah, and I'm really grateful to that because I didn't have any gay friends until um, beginning of college and I started, you know, making friends and I was able to, like, feel comfortably like, I don't understand this thing or about, you know, whatever is gay culture, just how relationships can work and just different things. And I felt comfortable that I could ask about it. And my friend didn't laugh at me or sneer at me or, like, judge me for being ignorant about it. He just was patient with me. Like when you're like, how did you penises hit each other? (laughs) (laughs) And, and I think, I think intent is what it comes down to. I was Mm -hmm. like, I just want to understand. Yeah. And I mean, so you are, you're a much, um, a much more sensitive person than Banky who is like, yes, you said fuck. She said, fuck. You said fuck to that girl. You said that you'd fuck her. And well, how can a girl fuck another girl? Were you talking about strap-ons or something? Jesus, would you shut up? What? It's okay. I, I just, I don't know how many times I can apologize for it. She's like, I just don't see it that way. And she, like I said before, Alyssa hangs. Yeah. Like, she's the character that, like, the only time we really see her broken is when somebody breaks her heart. It's when Ben Affleck is like, I don't know if I can handle being with you. And she's like... In in her perspective, she's like finally given herself over to love, which is seemingly something that she hasn't done in a long time. Yeah, um, and she 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 took a risk to be with him, right? Yeah, because her whole thing is she had been with girls most of the time. Yeah, and she's got like her her like lesbian pod that she's in. Yeah, um, of friends, and as soon as they as soon as they. <laughs> Um, find out that she's dating a guy they're all like another one bites the dust yeah and robin is just sitting next to us the whole time nodding she's just like yep and you were watching it and you're like i wouldn't really go like that and robin's like nope that's how it goes yeah and obviously it would it's different everywhere and for everyone but especially today i'm sure it's different depending on your friend group but there was a bit of a hey robin is that how it works (laughs) (laughs) um and robin's one of those cool people who's like sometimes yeah yeah. like she can just like let us know yeah she didn't divorce me straight off (laughs) yeah it was good uh so so we basically our rom-com is watching them fall in love with each other by being friends yeah and really i mean there's more difficulty for Alyssa and her identity than it is for Holden. Cause Holden's just like, I really like her. I want to be with her. And it's like, okay, you're not really risking anything by chasing her other than your own, the, the potentiality of unrequited love, which everyone's potentiality. Potentiality. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I'm going to write that one down. Potentiality. And he has nothing to lose by chasing after her. Well, what either of them have to lose is what anybody in these movies has to lose, which is a friend. Yeah. Right. And they have a, the movie does a great, fantastic job of setting up their friendship because we see that conversation where she gets to really educate Holden and they just get to have a. Well, and she nails, she nails home. She's like, I'm gay. I just want to be your friend. Yeah. Like 
that's that's where I'm at. And so she really is like she's upfront about her intentions by hanging out with him. She's like, there's this friend zone. I want us both to be in it together. Yeah. And then he kind of accepts that. And he's like, you know what? I'm actually okay not being in love with you. Yeah. But then he finds to his surprise, kind of, that he's in love with her. Yeah, still. Yeah. But but I think that is also very honest where, especially in high school and college, where you have lots of friendships with lots mm-hmm. of different girls. And at least for me, there was so many girls that I was like, hey, yeah, friends, I can be friends. Mm-hmm. Let's be friends. Mm-hmm. And then like a day later, I was like, shit, I'm in love with her. <laughs> and I fell in love with so many girls because I think uh, young people are very bad at guarding their heart. I think especially and especially if you haven't been if you haven't had like an actual human romantic relationship before. Yeah. The potential of that is always out there just beyond your reach. And you're always I was always idealizing what these relationships with these girls could have been. I'm like because we got along as friends mm-hmm. and because I was attracted to them, it's like, oh, it's so clear we could have like the most special relationship. I'm sure if I just had that happened once and it go in a very mundane place where it would have probably gone because I was young and didn't sure. know what that really meant. Then I could have like snapped me back into reality and be like, yeah, you could have romantic relationships with other people too, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be pie in the sky. Great stuff. Sure. Like that's, that's kind of the, the beauty and the tragedy of this film mm-hmm. because he, he's had relationships before she's had a, a ton of relationships before and when he when he takes that risk eventually and tells her like hey i can't do this anymore i am actually in love with you she's like hey screw you because that breaks our friendship up and like you're asking me to change who i am and he kind of betrays a social contract that they had right and and she's also kind of I'm not going to say that she's lying, but she's also does make it seem much more like she is like, this is really kind of complicated because um, I, I've read a couple of pieces on this film where people are like, you know, this movie is poisonous because it says that like a, uh, a lesbian can just fall in love with um, a guy at any point in time. Yeah. And, um, but I think this movie's way smarter than that. Yeah. Um, because at, at one point in time, I think they hang a lampshade on that where Banky is like, Oh, why are you in such a bad mood? Still dwelling on that dike? Hey, knock it off, will you? What I tell you, she just needs the right guy. All every woman really wants, be it mother, senator, nun, is some serious deep dicking. See, that's why I can't buy lesbians. Everyone needs dick. See, I can buy fags, a bunch of guys that need dick, you know, just plain need it. That I get. Dykes, bullshit posturing. Well, live and let live, I guess. I'm sure the gay community appreciates your support. Uh, all, all she needs is a good, like, dick. And, right. you know, then, then she'll realize what she's missing. Right. And um, that's obviously not the case where, you know, she's been with a lot of people and so this movie doesn't really beg a question about her identity in a even though it talks a lot about identity the whole time it's just like she's just does what she does when she wants to i think what's very clear in this movie though in her hesitation with being with holden is that she's kind of seemingly made a decision of who she would like to be yeah and and she's it seems like she's found a 
a community that she enjoys and a stability and a happiness and and having um being being gay and that's that's how she sees herself and that's where she feels good about who she is and that's how and that's epitomized by like she she says she was raised in a culture where um it was expected of her to fall in love with a guy right and to be with a guy sexually and then she's like but i decided like well don't limit myself to that and then she decided she's like i'm actually like not going to be limited by that found that she was attracted to women and was like well i'm a lesbian and then she wrote off ever being with a guy and this like this is her whole conversation and then she's like well now i'm limiting myself again so i'm just going to open up both ways yeah and for her to be in a relationship with holden is kind of canceling out the previous decision of the kind of life she was or the kind of identity she has of like well and like that's kind of illustrated with her pod being Mm -hmm. like i'm not as much as one of you guys as i was because now i'm with a guy and that she's she is kind of saying not that i'm betraying you but i'm not i'm not the same which is which is what i think is beautiful about this movie and i think hey everybody listening out there people are changeable yeah and people are peoples are peoples tell you what is big city hmm? live work huh but not see the open only peoples peoples is peoples noise buildings it's tomatoes huh it's peoples it's dancing it's music it's potatoes so peoples is peoples okay yeah. yeah. Thanks. It helped a lot. Yeah. Right. Um, where, where we, our identity is a, is a moldable thing, which means that if you're an ignorant bastard, you can also learn and become, a, you know, a little bit more of an enlightened human being. Mm-hmm. If you're attracted to s- some people at one time, or you say like, I really want to be a librarian, but then you change your mind and you want to become a physicist. It's because you learned and you changed and you became a new person and loving people for who they are, not what they are is kind of one of those. It's one of those weird, like woo woo statements that actually does mean something. And I feel like this genre sometimes at the best of times gets at that. Yeah. Because it's about loving people and what like almost full stop, (laughs) what that actually looks like Mm -hmm. when you love someone, it's not just this kind of like, Oh, you're great. It's like, no, no, you have to work with who they are and accept who they are and accept their changeability and accept that they're not, they're changing into a person that is not as much as, you one you admired previously now they're changing and they're going down a direction that you didn't want them to go on but you got to meet with them and meet them in their place right and i mean the unfortunate thing for i mean initially for holden is that he more so can't accept who he is Mm. um like if, if we're really digging into his psychology yeah he's he's someone who can ex he can accept that that Alyssa has had more experience than him, but he can't accept himself as having less experience. Mm-hmm. And it's that lack of love for himself and who he is that really is what drives her away. Yeah. So what yeah. the crux 
of their the downfall of their relationship comes down to Holden learns secondhand that Alyssa had a tryst with a guy like in high school. Two, it was well, with two guys. Two guys. Yeah. And it was like pretty. It uh, was one of those high school things where everybody found out about it and she got like a nickname. She got a nickname from it because it was this pretty. How do you want to characterize it? It's a sexual encounter I mean, that's pretty it's, dirty. For I, I would, yeah, I'd say for high school, it's pretty provocative. Yeah. At least for my high school experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for my high school experience, it was on a whole other world. <laughs> uh, and he finds out about this secondhand, which sucks because yeah, sure. she does cop up to that. It's like, yeah, we should be able to share our sexual relate like past with each other and that's something we should have shared earlier mm-hmm. but we didn't and his whole thing is he's hurt because this is the biggest prideful thing is that he thought he was the first guy right and so since she chose him it must have meant something about how special he was exactly right. and it must have made their relationship all the more important mm-hmm. because it's like from an emotional she- standpoint because if she chose him over all the women in the world, that means there's something about their connection, fateful, yeah, about their uh, connection. almost fateful, yeah. Um, but then that turns out to be not the case, and it's kind of like that fact. He kind of like swallows, it's like, okay, fine, I'm not the first guy. I can deal with that. But what he can't deal with is that th- her previous encounter with other guys before is so dirty to him. Right, because he he's he's one of those like I I remember the first time I dated a girl who had dated other people before. And like there is there's a there's like this weird it's almost like a mind trap where yeah. you can either disassociate yourself from like when you hear like, you know, when you when you, when you are a young, be insecure because you have very little experience, and that insecurity like kind of adds to like the the insecurity that you're already feeling about like, am I any good at kissing? Am yeah. I any good at doing any sexy things? I don't know. And then you hear that somebody has experience with somebody else, then you're like, how am I gonna measure up to that? Like it's the way that we feel as young people about like anything. Yeah. Um, but. When I got to that point, I had to like really have a mind wrestle with myself where I, I was like, stop thinking about it. Yeah. You like are in a good situation. Yeah. Shut your mind up. Yeah. And it took a little while, but I eventually got over it. But like, it's not an easy thing for anybody. I think, I mean, for me, I'm not going to say for guys, but I will say for me, junior high and high school, predominantly and a little bit in college. When you're attracted to a girl, you want her. And you want her to yourself. And is that selfish? Probably. Um, is that is that honest? Yeah. That you want to be the only one that she is with and experiences. And it it does mess with your head if you know that she's got experience with her other guys. And so when Holden finds out that she had this tryst with these other couple guys, I was like totally relating to him. And I was kind of feeling bad that I was relating to him. I was like, yeah, that's kind of how I would feel. I wouldn't react like that Mm because he really reacts. He gets really angry and he throws the relationship away directly because of it. Right. I wouldn't do that, 
but I would be a hot mess. Sure. And, and I, I think I would freak I would freak out internally. I I I like I really get that, but it has been such a long time since I've experienced like any kind of hot messness like that because I got to go through that in ninth grade. Yeah. And since that, every relationship since I've gotten better and better and better of just being like people people are with people. Like Right. I was with people and to, to and, but really I see wasn't. yourself in somebody else. I wasn't. Right. I and know. I think that's why it was so hard for me. I mean, and that's why it's hard for him is because like I'm saying, he's not really mad that she has experience. He's mad that he doesn't. Yeah. Because then he can't put himself in her position. Yeah. It's really about being angry at yourself for having a lack of perspective. And he cops to it. That's why he comes up with this whole solution. He's like, look, the problem is... After, well, okay, he doesn't get there until he meets with Jay and Silent Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you want, do you want to say what happens there? <laughs> well, uh, he meets up with Jay and Silent Bob, who are the basis of the comic that they're designing. And so he kind of, like, Kevin Smith kind of ties in his worlds in this moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Silent Bob has his famous monologue. Silent Bob always gets a monologue in these movies. He gets one monologue. Right, but he's it. quiet the rest of the time. Um, and explains that he's chasing Amy. So there's me and Amy, and we're all inseparable, right? Just big time in love. And then four months down the road, the idiot gear kicks in, and I ask about the ex-boyfriend, which, as we all know, is a really dumb move, but you know it is. You don't want to know, but you just have to know, right? Stupid guy bullshit. So anyway, she starts telling me about him, how they fell in love and how they went out for a couple years and how they lived together. Her mother likes me better, blah, 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 and I'm okay. But then she drops the bomb on me, and the bomb is this. It seems that a couple of times while they were going out, he brought some people to bed with him. Menage a trois, I believe it's called. Now this just blows my mind, right? I mean, I am not used to this sort of thing. I mean, I was raised Catholic, for God's sakes. Saint shithead. Do something. So I'm totally weirded out by this, right? And I just start blasting her. Like, I don't know how to deal with what I'm feeling, so I figure the best way is by calling her slut, right? And tell her she was used. I'm, I'm out for blood. I really want to hurt this girl. I'm like, what the fuck is your problem, right? And she's just all calmly trying to tell me, like, it was that time and it was that place, and she doesn't think she should apologize because she doesn't feel that she's done anything wrong. I'm like, oh, really? That's when I look her straight in the eye, I tell her it's over. I walk. Fucking A. No, idiot. It was a mistake. I wasn't disgusted with her. I was afraid. You know, at that moment, I felt small, like like I'd lacked experience, like I'd never be on her level, like I'd never be enough for her or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But what I did not get, she didn't care. She wasn't looking for that guy anymore. She was she was looking for me, for, for the Bob. But uh, by the time I figured this all out, it's too late, man. She moved on. And all I had to show for it was some foolish pride, which then gave way to regret. She was a girl. I know that now. But mm, I pushed her away. So I spent every day since then chasing Amy. So to speak. It's one of those things that shouldn't be profound because especially writing wise because it's exactly almost what um holden's going through yeah but it is just because of the performance and where they're at and like it's 
it is the exact same situation. And he's just being like, hi, Holden, this is what you're going through. Yeah. But it really works. It does. Yeah. I don't know. Kevin Smith pulls it off. Yeah. And, you know, Ben Affleck realizes the error of her ways. And like we said before, he concocted the scheme to try and fix it and doesn't mm-hmm. go right. But it's okay because it does work out. But it's it's an oddly... It's an oddly dramatic way to solve an inner conflict. It's very honest, and I'd almost say it's extremely mature for him, but it's not the most mature, because the most mature thing he could do would be to talk to her about it, explain where he's coming from, and move on with creating a relationship with her. Yeah, this is definitely the most movie moment is this plan that he comes up with, because if it was a more real thing, he would try to just talk to her about it right and that's what you or i would do is like hey i'm feeling really weird about this can we talk about it right and like we know Alyssa that's because we're in healthy relationships <laughs> but Alyssa's been cool this whole time right that's that's the thing they had this blow-up fight and i think i think since they had this blow-up fight he feels like he has to fix it like have you ever been in that situation where you're like i have to come up with, whether it's romantic or otherwise, I have to come up with this perfect solution to show somebody that what I did I know is wrong, but I have a way to fix who I am. No, but you have. I have. I, have, I, <laughs> I think that's the difference between me and you is that I'm really bad at romantic gestures and mm. you're really good at them. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm, I, I, am, I am good at them, but they don't work every time. And right. there were definitely times where I was in horrible relationships where I tried to fix them by changing who I was, yeah. which is dumb. And that's kind of what he's trying to do. Yeah. He's trying to change who he yeah. is so that he can be okay with who he is. And I think that's why it's kind of a last straw for Alyssa. It's like, no, like, yeah. I don't want you to change. I want you to accept me. Yeah. Accept her and accept himself. Yeah. Like, and yeah, it just doesn't happen. And so... We, in conclusion, we see them at this thing a year later where they all go their separate ways, assuming, or we don't see it, but we catch up with them a year later at Comic-Con. And they're not, they're not close anymore and they won't be, but they're simpatico. They're simpatico and they all smile at each other. They have a good conversation. Uh, Alyssa is seemingly dating um, the woman that's at the, the booth with her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I wasn't sure if she was another writer at first, but then I think at the end, they're like, let's go get some dinner. And then... Holden has a great conversation with her of yeah. just about like he kind of like worked through his his crap. Yeah, and it was and, just kind of like, hey, sorry, but you're cool. I'm cool. And he kind of shows that he's not going to be chasing Amy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That he's and moving on. He's moving on. He, he but like but the filmmaking is so well done that he doesn't need to say it. Yeah. We just kind of get it. Yeah. I mean, I want to sing more praise for not only Joey Lauren Adams as Alyssa. She's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, she movie. really kills it. One of the role. best performances. Because she does such... She breaks our blonde law. Yeah. Yeah. Finally getting a blonde. Uh, She does such a thorough job in a genre that is not asking for it. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is the level of acting that you as a viewer were like (laughs) really not demanding of last week's episode, but just kind of like... No, but but I really want people to take it up to 100 a lot. Like, I know all of you can try harder, so all of you need to try harder. But everybody... Every, it seems like everybody is acting at that level in this film. Yeah. Like from our four kind of main characters. I know we haven't talked much about Hooper, but like Hooper, Alyssa, Banky, and Holden all are acting the crap out of these roles. Yeah. 
and Alyssa especially, like I want to say thinking through all of the female roles of the movies we've watched so far or of all the ones we've watched so far, I'd say I'm going to say it. I she's on Julia Roberts plane. Hold on. Ryan, I want you to give us your rom-com Oscars. Yeah. Cuz I think you're about to say it out loud best actress wow joey lauren adams ladies and gentlemen let's see i'm i'm still rooting for like an emma thompson at that point in time but i mean they're all in the same level it's it's hard to compare the two of them because they're very different roles i know but if you if you play the oscar clip and it's joey lauren adams in that parking lot defending her sexual past i don't know how i feel about you right why now. why because i had some sex some sex yes holden that's Most of it's stupid high school sex. Like, you never had sex in high school. Listen, there is a world of fucking difference between typical high school sex and getting fucked by two fucking guys at the same time. They fucking use you. No! I use them! You don't think I would have let it happen if I hadn't wanted to, do you? I was an experimental girl, for Christ's sake. Maybe you knew early on that your track was from point A to B. But I like you, I was not given a fucking map at birth. So I tried it all. That is until we, that's you and I, got together. And suddenly I was sated. Can't you take some fucking comfort in that? You turned out to be all I was looking for. That missing piece in the big fucking puzzle. Look, I'm sorry that I let you believe you were the only guy I'd ever been with. I should have been more honest. But it just, it seemed to make you feel special in a way that me telling you over and over again how incredible you are just wouldn't get across. Oh, and I'm sorry. Just don't do that. Do you mean to tell me that while you have zero problem with me sleeping with half the women in New York City, you have some sort of half-ass mealy-mouth objection to pubescent antics that took place almost 10 years ago? What the fuck is your problem? I want us to be something that we can't be. And what's that? A normal couple. And then you do the Oscar clip of, I'll be really like fair and have Emma Thompson's laugh cry and sense and sensibility. tight race but i'm giving it to joey lauren adams well i feel i feel like um joey lauren adams is going full brando right there like she's she's really she's She's going for it going for like heartbreak city whereas i feel like um emma thompson is far more she's got it controlled to the vest yeah um and so different acting styles yeah i I 
I think they're toe to toe. It's more like what you enjoy. And uh, Joey Lauren Adams has that that voice that sounds like she's smoked like far too many cigarettes in her young life. Yeah, which is sultry and sexy. It's it's that Phoebe Buffay. Yeah. I got a cold voice. Yeah. This chick sounds good. Um. And and I, I like it, but man, it's it's hard to listen to when she's yelling at yeah. him. Not in a bad way. It's just like there's a lot of pain behind it. It's really scratchy. It feels real, and it feels like how, like when Julia Roberts has an issue in a Hollywood movie, it's she sounds like an actress. She sounds like a character. You know, you bring this up a lot with actors. You, you there's you, two styles of acting. There's Hollywood and there's indie. <laughs> And no, honestly, no, no. I mean, you're, you're like, you're like creating two schools right here that I don't think I am. I think this is, uh, accepted canonical, like scholarship on how on film acting. I, I disagree. I think there's, there's I want, I want Rachel to call in and, and explain it to us to, ex- to, to already agree with your point. No, no, because she might be like, no, Ryan's full of it. This is not how it works. There, there are from Meisner to like, I, mean, I know, no, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I know that there's method acting and there's all these other things. Well, there's just different schools of acting and different actors who come at it from different ways. But you can have people like, let's say, a Ben Affleck, right? Yeah. Who, who is in a bunch of indie movies and he's in a bunch of Hollywood films. Do you think his acting is definitively different in all of those films? Uh, take take um, someone more... I will not. <laughs> that was my example I wanted to bring up. Well, Ben Affleck, I don't, I've never been impressed by Ben Affleck. I'm either accepting him or not accepting him. (laughs) Okay. So like Ben Affleck and Armageddon, it's like, well, everyone's doing a shitty job in this movie. So fine. Like, who cares? (laughs) It doesn't matter. No one really needs to carry the drama in this movie because it's so preposterous that there's no drama to take. Okay. Whereas in this, this is probably the best I'll get from him is him doing being holden i can't think of another movie like him and argo it's just kind of like he's so yeah he's ben affleck like there's i'm not impressed by like i'm not wowed like ben affleck did such a good job in the same sense of when you see gary oldman in a movie like really nails something like sure okay so so let's take a gary oldman from uh as commissioner gordon sure Okay, and now what's a Gary Oldman in an indie movie? Uh, Gary Oldman in The Professional. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm much more, like, floored by Gary Oldman in The Professional, where there's not, like, you're giving me a weird look. I am, because you're taking the two actors, and you're saying... Or you're, you're I'm ta- not, no, you're no. Ta- you're, saying, you're saying that acting is better in indie films. It's not the actor, it's the movie. You're, you're right. I know. You're saying, like, the same actor, you can have them in two different types of films. Right. However, they're always going to be better in an indie film. Not necessarily. I'm not saying it as a rule. I'm saying they have an opportunity to do something special in the indie film because... But you can't in a Hollywood. No, you can be moving in a Hollywood film. Okay. But, but there's... Let me get back to the, to the film at hand. Okay. Joey Lauren Adams in Chasing Amy, when she has her, her freak out not her freak out, her like impassioned defense of her sexual history Mm -hmm. feels so authentic Mm -hmm. and so real because of the filmmaking, because the filmmaking and because of the space she gets. And I mean, that's the filmmaking. 
Yeah, but I feel like she, Joey Lauren Adams, doesn't have the opportunity to do this in Big Daddy. She's in Big Daddy. She's good in Big Daddy. But yeah, but that's a different kind of film. Yeah, but so you're saying like I, I hear what you're saying. You're saying that I, I think what what you're what let me let me see if I can take your your thesis. Yeah. And like apply give it, it. Give it a conclusion here. Yeah. And, and see if I, I see where you're trying to get at the the indie film by its very nature relies on more heavily on an actor to bring it to life than a Hollywood movie does. I think, let me, I think I found it. The indie film has the (laughs) platform. The indie film has the platform. Okay. But the, the actor needs to bring it. So they need the stage to do it, but the actor needs to do it. Okay. So I'm giving, I'm giving equal credit to Kevin Smith and to Joey Lauren Adams for nailing that scene. Okay. So 50, 50, I I know, but now compare it to a Hollywood film. So Notting Hill, you have a wonderful monologue from Julia Roberts that she's just a girl standing in front of a boy. Mm -hmm. Hollywood moving me, not in the same way that Joey Lauren Adams moves me and chasing Amy. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. But those seem like completely different scenes. Are they though? Yeah. It's two women kind of burying themselves and this is the most vulnerable julia roberts gets in yeah but they are completely different characters that's like you saying well a breakup scene is a breakup scene is a breakup scene Uh you see what i mean yeah well i would say i would argue that they're not it really just depends on who's in charge and how much drama is in the moment okay because they're not like julia roberts character wasn't written to do that Uh uh-huh and so she's not going to be bringing that Uh uh-huh and so, uh, I mean, I, I, I know that there is more performative, I mean, I don't really feel the same, the same way about Hollywood versus indie as you do. I think like you brought up, um, who you were, who was, who is the Anne Hathaway. You said Anne uh-huh. Hathaway is kind of a performer. Yeah. But ex sorry. I want to correct myself. Okay. Not in Rachel getting married, which we'll someday watch. Okay. That is the exception. She is not doing Hollywood performance. She is doing great, intimate acting that feels much more. But it's, it's, it just seems like what the part calls for is what kind of determines or the what, actor. What and so, the film calls for. Yeah. So so I, I you're just okay, kind of allowing indie movies to be more raw, and thus the the char- the actors themselves maybe have more opportunities to get raw. Yeah, maybe okay. maybe Ethan Hawke is a better example of this. Okay. Because I think he is, like, he's good in Hollywood films, but he's... Like a training day. Yeah, but he's better in indie films. Like, I feel like there's more to be witnessed to in an indie film. Because, again, it's more about details, whereas the Hollywood film has more, like, other things happening. Theme and plot and story and... And indie Big. films don't have those. But no, that's I, that was to my point from earlier is indie films kind of rely on the actor to bring it to life because right. there's a lot less going on. Yeah. And so almost by their very nature, an indie film will die sometimes on the performance of an actor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we found kind of a, an understanding of each other then. Well, of you. <laughs> you and your weird brain. <laughs> I... <laughs> Thanks. I'm I'm so glad that it's Joey Lauren Adams and not sorry Renee Zellweger 
not Renee Zellweger. Aww. Because I do want to make that differentiation is that I think actors do bring a different sensibility to the project because the directors are asking different sure, of them. Sure. And I think some actors are better at the others in the sense that there's probably a reason why Joey Lauren Adams is not a household name. Because I don't think, like she, like I said, she was in Big Daddy, she was in an Adam Sandler film, but she didn't really get a Hollywood career. She's been in a lot of stuff. Um, but she didn't become a go-to A-list star actress. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because... In some ways, she's too good. Huh? Do you see where I'm, Do you see where I'm going? Do you see the driveway that I'm on right now? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so what I'm questioning is whether you're going to pull into the garage or not. Um, <laughs> I'm going to veer right into the bushes. I think certain actors are better at Hollywood acting than other actors are. Okay. I, I think you're right. Some actors bring. Uh, have the ability to bring a lot of charisma and presence to a role that makes sense in in larger films, I guess, at times. Um, but from what I saw... I, okay, this this we're getting way off topic here, but imagine like your favorite punk band from the early 2000s. Do you want to see them in Dodger, Dodger Stadium? Or do you want to see them in like Graceland in Seattle? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, so you're saying that there's some, there's some bands there's that like deserve a small space where everybody's crowded in really just getting to hear this intimate version of a show. And then there's some bands like queen where it's like, well, yeah, of course I want to see them in a, like a giant stadium. Yeah. But if I said, Ooh, look, Richard Linklater's got his next film lined up and you say, well, who's in it? And I go, uh, Tom Cruise. (laughs) <laughs> like it would be really disappointing sure, 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 to sure, find sure. out that the director of before sunrise well, is, i'd be very interested in that project very curious <laughs> but you're like oh i don't know if that's gonna be good or not whereas it's like don't worry ethan hawk's in it it's like okay we're we're good everybody ethan hawk's here yeah, but, but i love when i love when hollywood actors take a turn to do an indie but it's surprising when they do it well mm, no i i think it's it's just it happens rarely. Why? If they're because that... they're not getting paid as much. Yeah, but but <laughs> and be and because maybe because um, their careers have gotten gotten stilted, they're less popular, and they need to do something that could possibly be a darling. Yeah, but but only that's only to say that there's a lot of factors going into. There are two different kind of actors. There's hall. I mean, it's never one or the other. So, but it's there's kind of two. Sometimes there's people that or there's actors that gravitate more towards indie or yeah, star making roles. But there is kind of a spectrum, right? That there's somewhat more just of the, like the sexuality in this movie, right? There's more of a, the Hollywood end of things, and there's yeah. more of the indie end of things. And some actors wouldn't be caught dead doing one or the other, but a lot of actors are somewhere in the middle. Maybe they're leaning towards more indie or maybe they're leaning towards more Hollywood, but there is kind of the difference. I will say, yeah, but a lot of times it is just who's going to cast me and do I feel like I want to do this part? Yeah. Knowing but, knowing actors who get cast in roles, a lot of times right. they're just like, thank God somebody's casting me. Right, right but us as the viewers, we're going, I hope it's more of, this sounds like more of an indie project. I feel safer going into this film with a more Ethan Hawke type actor than a more Tom Cruise type actor. Roughly. Yeah, I guess so. 
I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say no, but it's also not generally how I look at films. Come on, get on my driveway. No, you no, have no, no. I you have expectations. It. You have expectations of how films should be, and you have high expectations, and you're okay with having. Well, the yeah, high but when when I see Lucy Liu and Tay Diggs in set it up as two bosses, I'm not like, nice. They're bringing X to a role. Well, they didn't really bring anything special. Well, I don't know, but role. before I watched it, I wasn't feeling safe or unsafe. I was just like, do do I enjoy their work? Sometimes they could be good in this. They could be bad. Okay, let's let's um let's backslide into last week's episode for a second though. Okay. Just to get the conversation capped. Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. Yeah. But Zoe Dutch, mm-hmm. we both agree that she's pretty special in that movie. Yeah, I, I think I, I, it's hard for me to, I think she was good in that film. I don't think she was given a chance to shine as much as she could have. Okay. Okay. But nonetheless, she was, she did a good job. Yeah. And you liked her persona on screen. Yeah. Do you have a inkling of where you would like to see her career go? Like you would want to see her do more movies that are like Devil Wears Prada or more movies like Before Sunrise? To be completely honest i want to see her as a superhero really i want to see her as like in in an indie like a maybe an indie or a lower budget superhero film why that's so so interesting because she seems like she'd be a really unique personality that i have not seen in like an action superhero film so she would bring something fresh to a hollywood picture exactly i love it Uh, all that, all that to say, we, we're kind of pretty much on the same page. Of, sure, there is kind of a difference, and it's not a. You're putting I, so many words in my mouth. <laughs> no, but I'm agreeing with you that it's definitely not one or the other. Sure, right. There is a spectrum, but I think you are also right that like uh, there there is a specific a uh, cer- certain people have a certain kind of gravity to them that exists better in hollywood or indie films at yeah. times not saying that they can't break into one or the other but sometimes people find their niche and that niche exists because they like playing in small venues or big stadiums yeah and for the most part in hollywood films in the classic age it was either hollywood acting or nothing well yeah before yeah. the 50s that's all you got like well and it's funny because you f- you see somebody like Jimmy Stewart, right? Yeah. Who is in everything from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington to It's a Wonderful Life to like smaller John Wayne films like The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Yeah. And there's a degree to Hollywood, which, but it, but it, it never gets to the point of indie. Like that never really starts until the late 60s. Yeah. Or if it does get close to that, it's... It's kind of still uncategorized. Well, if it does get close to that, it was black cinema. Yeah. Or like foreign films that yeah. like in different countries existed on like a, a plane of like, we don't have Hollywood's money, so we're not going to throw a bunch of money at this thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, you know what word I'm not using? I should be using realism. Hmm. There's a realism to Joey Lauren Adams and Chasing Amy. Yeah, there really is. Like I, I've hung out with quite a few of her yeah and i wouldn't necessarily use that word with julia roberts and notting hill 
Well, she is playing the most famous actress in the world in that movie. Well, that's what I'm saying. She's being herself then. I know. Well, so how realistic is it? You tell me. I think it's not. (laughs) But that's not to say she's phony and not. No, no, no. She's a very, it's a very authentic performance. Yes, I, I agree. And the, I think what that role is begging of her though, isn't, isn't bringing out realism it's stripping away facade mm-hmm. right and so when she does get real it's there's there's still like a sheen to that film yeah and i think that's my main point that i wanted to praise everyone that's in our oeuvre mm-hmm. is like there's different kinds of performances and all of them are valuable yeah like, like i would say our most hollywood film that we've watched so far isn't actually notting hill but like if the the problem is is when it gets so far one direction generally in the hollywood direction it gets kind of poisonous especially yeah. if done wrong and that would be valentine's day oh yeah valentine's day has the most hollywood oh, yeah. superficial nothing oh yeah performances Absolutely. and that doesn't mean there aren't people that we liked in that movie but there's plenty of phoniness in the movie right lots of phoniness um but i would say in the indie spectrum we haven't run into movies that have a lot of phoniness where it's like this is important because of this yeah ness like um there isn't a like maybe a i felt a little bit of that into all the boys i loved before no yeah. offense to all the boys i loved before but there's a little bit of like there was a little phoniness to it yeah man we sound we sound like somebody from the 90s oh it's a big phony big phony who cares but, but like when we got to probably our, our lowest budget uh she's gotta have it that yeah. felt very real yeah very authentic yeah. Mm-hmm. which is the same way i felt in notting hill yeah 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 and that's that's authenticity the other th- maybe that's what we're, we yeah. love most about this and genre. that's the other thing is that it's like indie hollywood who cares just tell a good story yeah, just tell a good story. And Ryan, tell me who you fall in love with. Pacow. Pacow. Alyssa. Uh, Why? Um, because she's so cool. She's so cool. Mm. She's so cool. And she's gorgeous. Yep. Yep, she is. Um, yeah, I'm definitely like... <laughs> so, Hooper... We haven't talked about Hooper... But he's he's one of those characters who um, you'll run into in real life all the time who has kind of like that contrary opinion and yet is so like, well, this is just exact like it's a contrary opinion to what is believed to be true, but he believes it so wholeheartedly and with so little ego that it's infuriating. And that's when he like is trying to prove to Banky that Jughead and Archie are gay. Yeah. And it's a hilarious scene. All right. Archie and the Riverdale gang were a pure and fun loving bunch. You can't find dysfunction in those comics. They were just flat out wholesome. Archie and Jughead were lovers. Shut the fuck up. It's true. Archie was the bitch and Jughead was the butch. That's why Jughead wears that crown looking hat all the time. He the king of Queen Archie's world. Because he wanted them both at the same time, you assholes. He didn't choose one because he was trying to get them both into a three-way. Yeah. What? I want you to go down to the corner store and buy yourself a clue. 
But for that reason, I would not fall in love with Hooper because even though he's real and he might be like one of the most interesting characters in this movie, he's those people infuriate me where they're just like, oh, this is this is like my conspiracy theory. I don't have any stake in it, but it's yeah. just how I feel. So he's contrarian, but not confrontational. Yeah, which is a really fun character. Yeah, because if they can back up their claims with some like insight and wisdom, then they're kind of impressive people. Yeah, and and he's got that, but it's infuriating, so there's no way. I, I think I'm going to go with Alyssa, too. I don't want to just pick the same person as you, which we've done a lot recently. Yeah. But, um, like, Banky is never the one I would pick because he's just too aggravating. Yeah. Um, we ben- would be buddies with Banky. Yeah, we maybe. I don't know. He's pretty infuriating. Yeah. Um, I think Banky, post this movie, I would be buddies with. Yeah. Um, ben Affleck... I would totally be buddies with. Yeah. He seems like a cool, chill hang, but he has some remember, stuff sorry. to work through is all. Remember when it was cool to hate on Ben Affleck back in the day in the early aughts? No, I actually, I never, I never experienced that. I mean, Gili tanked mostly because everyone's sick of Ben Affleck so, and J-Lo. So I remember everybody talking about Gili yeah. and how bad of a movie it was. I thought they were talking about the old 1960s movie Gigi. Oh, and so for like four years, I was like, did they re-release that in cinemas? <laughs> I, I never saw it. I, I didn't know it was a thing. I remember finding out about it in college and being like, oh, I don't care about this. Right. Like everybody makes bad movies. But it was such a thing to hate on Ben Affleck. And he was Daredevil, right? Yeah. And everyone is mad that he was Daredevil. I liked him as Daredevil. Like, I think the Matt Murdock that is in the new Daredevil show is actually much better. I forgot his actor name, but he's really good. Um, but... I didn't dislike him as Daredevil, so... But then there was also the resistance I'm contrarian of, now. Well, I know. And then he was cast as the Batman, and everyone was like, guys, he already failed. Why did we cast him? And then, so you were just like, cool, let's see what how this goes. I, I saw him as Batman. I don't think he was bad. It was just a really bad movie. But when they announced his <laughs> casting before that, like, were you, like, excited? Or were you like, uh, this is not going to work? Honestly, I thought it was perfect casting. You're in the camp of... I don't know. I no, no. So I really think that Zack Snyder's um, Superman and Batman and like the Justice League. I, I think they're bad films. I think you you had some potential and you ruined it. But think about Ben Affleck as a character. He is very rich, mm-hmm. pretty powerful. Yeah. He like can be seen as a playboy. He definitely looks like a smug Thomas Wayne or Bruce Bruce, Bruce Wayne. Wayne. Thomas Wayne is his dad. He should be his own dad. <laughs> I am your daddy. But, oh. <laughs> um, but um, the but all of those added together plus, plus like he's very dedicated when it comes to like you know bulking up and stuff. I I really feel like he could have pulled it off if he was given a a little bit of a a better film to pull it off in because. That's the thing about Bruce Wayne. You can cast a star as Bruce Wayne because he's supposed to be noticeable. Yeah. I just want every one of them to have Kevin Conroy's voice because that's the absolute best Batman voice. I was so close, Alfred. I could smell his sweat. You know, and let's rattle him off. Who else was in this film? Uh, Who else was in Chasing Amy? Yeah. Uh, Matt Damon has a cameo. For just a second. 
uh you have casey met, affleck casey affleck just ben's brother just hanging out he's at comic-con yeah and you know let's i i did want to take a minute and give some like historical context of where we were in the movies in the, in 1997 this was the same year as goodwill hunting wow really so i don't know which came out first but by the end of 1997 you had ben affleck in this ultra low budget rom-com from miramax chasing amy and then he has a script that he wrote with matt damon also that came out from miramax that was an oscar triumph wow and these are two big movies to come out for one actor in one year yeah two actors technically i guess yeah and so the like you know ben affleck in um goodwill hunting as an actor he's just kind of there it's like really matt damon's movie um and he's pretty fun in in yeah goodwill hunting yeah he's, he's not the main focus but he is he is pretty good yeah but i feel like chasing amy i'm so glad i rewatched this so i'm like no he's got it yeah i get it i, I yeah. like him in, in these movies but you know before 1997 no one knew who ben affleck was but like chasing amy is <laughs> the goodwill hunting of indie films do you know what i mean is that for as far as the indie cinema worlds, Chasing Amy was like the best one they had that year. Uh-huh. Um, and the best drama that came out that year was Goodwill Hunting. And that was the big Hollywood. Hollywood film was Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. So basically, this this makes sense as to why Ben Affleck maybe got a huge bump in popularity at the end of the nineties. Yeah. Is because you have like these two movies coming out in the same year that two different subsets of people probably watched. Yeah. And so basically everybody was like, oh, this Ben Affleck guy, I've liked what he's done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Everyone likes him. And I I also want to just kind of point out um, the company that released these films, Miramax, which was um, Harvey Weinstein's company. And and it's just kind of like when we talk about 90s cinema, it's so like, uh, like forever tethered to Weinstein and forever tethered to that guy's culture. And so much of the 90s were filmmakers trying to deal with this bully of a film distributor yeah i wonder i wonder how much that came into play for this film um because another movie that came out around now um was uh, or in 97 was princess mononoke mm-hmm. which a huge reason why that film is the success that it is is because Miyazaki had a huge fight with Weinstein because Weinstein basically the last time he had worked with him was on Nausicaa and um, he had like called for all of these changes and Miyazaki like basically remade and re-edited the movie due to due to fights that he had with Weinstein. And like there was, I think there was one that was distributed in the U S that was like a different cut of the film. Yep. And it was just horrible process. And so when it came to princess Mononoke, um, Miyazaki was like, Nope, 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 Nope. I'm not going to at all like bend to you. And so like, like this, I mean, this, this guy has his fingers in all of these projects that we love. Yeah. And, and I don't know, like, are we even doing the community a service bringing it up? I think it's important that we understand we we talk about like these quote unquote powerful figures and like this post me too thing is like 
the powerful figures finally being taken down. And I think there is, um, it's like someone like Harvey Weinstein, like when I started reading about all these allegations against him, like, well, that's not surprising given how much I've studied about him in the Hollywood business world where he was just a terrible bully. Mm -hmm. And then reading about all these allegations against him, like, well, unfortunately, that seems to check out that that's horrible and i hope justice is brought you know forward um but i think these powerful men empower all these other creatives where there's a there's a culture of not wanting to rock the boat because you know quentin tarantino kevin smith uh me is like this miyazaki film all because of weinstein he and it's kind of one of those things where it's like maybe that's part of his power is that he empowers all these other people so that they don't bring him down that he's he's like putting out all these like allied relationships so that he has more of a safe place to, to be, be a, the horrible person he is yeah and it's just kind of like when miramax you know crumbled and from those ashes the weinstein company came another generation of filmmakers finally got to tell the stories that they wanted to because like, again it wasn't be- so many young filmmakers, like we were complaining about last week, that a lot of filmmakers don't get the chance. Weinstein gave a lot of filmmakers this chance. Yeah, and so made. what what we really want is somebody, anybody, doesn't matter necessarily who you are. You just can't be a horrible crap of a human being and run a company that has a lot of money and give some money to young filmmakers and yeah. interesting filmmakers but and so, diverse filmmakers. But so many of the great films are marred because of the person who is behind it. I mean... Not not when we're watching it directly, sure. um, but it's one of those... For me, it's kind of a... If you just do historical deconstructionism, it's just something that is also a, a topic in which it is of interest to look into. But it's, for me, when I, when I watch a Miramax movie and I watch the Miramax logo comes up, the connotation in my head is Miramax, Harvey Weinstein. God, what an awful asshole. Like, well, yeah, but like, I mean, and it's there for a second and I move on. Yeah, sure. But it's just kind of like one of those, uh, it's like having that bad taste in your mouth. It's like, where's my soda? I got to wash this out. (laughs) That's why we have popcorn and soda at the movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, anything else about the film? No, other than Kevin Smith, come back to making movies like this. Like I, I feel, like you so what have you watched of his films well dogma and clerks and you would you concur that they're both those other films are very interesting films no matter what yeah i think um i mean i here's the thing i i haven't i basically know what tux or tusk is um i haven't seen the the hosers one um but that's kind of a is it kind of rom-commy? No, it's like a horror movie. It's like a double. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I I think what Kevin Smith is really good at is taking topics that nobody's talking about and kind of just talking about them. Yeah. Um, or taking topics that everybody is talking about and finding the most interesting bits to talk about. Yeah. Sure, everybody talks about Star Wars, but maybe he just has something to say that is just a little bit more interesting. Yeah. But today it seems like, um, I mean, I don't know if he's, if he's not doing these kinds of movies right now, because like the landscape of putting your foot in your mouth is just far, it's, it's far more slippery than it is. But like, if you, I think if you watch this movie now, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a perfect guide to 
hey, this is how you can have conversations with people out loud that might be about topics that are are charged in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think we need more of that. Yeah. I think we need people taking chances and saying, I'm going to have people having conversations in my films that are maybe giving our society a little bit of perspective on how to potentially have a good conversation with somebody without tearing their head off or being too offended because like I'm, I'm guilty of that. I get like too offended on the behalf of others oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if we were a little bit more patient and a little bit more open, but a little bit more graceful at the same time, maybe we could, accomplish this more and i feel like kevin smith is able to do that in these films get along like i think (laughs) a movie like chase and amy helps us get along with each other and that's the great power of movies and not everybody gets along in this movie and that's kind of the magic of it you need to describe a situation which is imperfect in order to show people a path out of it yeah and i i what i like about kevin smith is that as acerbic and as like sardonic as his films go I don't think he indulges the, like, I don't think he indulges the bad part of ourselves. I don't think he has that, you know, when you see someone cut you off in traffic, then you see them get cut off in traffic, and you're like, ha, I got what he's coming for him. Like, he never gives us that. There's no schadenfreude? He doesn't give us that kind of pleasure. And I think a lot of, unfortunately, what I see in a lot of 2020 is a lot of people just seeking schadenfreude. And just like seeking that kind of pleasure, and it's like, that's that's not what we need. We need a we need something more sustainable. We need something more something more based in love and understanding. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Smith, show us some love. Show me love. Um, well, let's see uh, if our wheel of fortune is going to show us any love for next week. Oh man, I'm kind of nervous because like, what a uh, we're doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> ba 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 ba. Lay it on me. I'm going to go with three because of the two threesomes that we get to kind of describe to us in this film. Well, you were looking for Renee Zellweger, and you know what? You found her. What? Bridget Jones's Diary. Yay! I love Pride and Prejudice. So, have you seen Bridget Jones' Diary? Yes, I have. Okay, well, good. Probably like five years ago. Well, it's uh, it's gonna be a good time to revisit. Have a, you? Uh, yeah, just once. Okay. And I'd say one of the more iconic rom coms in the pantheon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this one is a popular film. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, Ray? Well, I'm gonna say if you if you are in a place of love mm-hmm. and understanding, and you want others to be in that same place of love and understanding. Let them know about this podcast, because uh, I think, uh, you know, even if they disagree with us every time, all the time, at least they have something to think about. So throw them a recommendation for our podcast to your buddies. Yeah, yeah. And um, feel free to hit us up on uh, at romcomgents at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram at romcomgents. And, you know, send us some love if you got some love. Send us love. Yeah. And you know what? If um, if you disagree with anything, just let us know, too, because we're all for, you know, hearing what you have to say. And if there's things that we are, you can tell that we're misinformed on things. <laughs> we want to be informed. Well, I'm... <laughs> no, I'm not saying we're misinformed, but we want to know. We want to learn. Sure. We, we want to learn more about how the world runs. 
yeah so uh please illuminati go ahead and let us know um and yeah uh this uh you know we'll see you next week when we get to see hugh grant finally coming back in after so many episodes yeah i put him on ice for a while he's coming back so i love you hugh grant i love you and i love you kelly and this is where we will say goodbye Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. <laughs>